name is Nick. And I'm Damien. And you're listening to the EQIQ Podcast. This is where the independent scientist and biotech entrepreneur come to find new paths to success. Join us as we discuss strategies to launch your vision, grow your team's potential, and uncover hacks to push your career well beyond what you thought possible. Okay, enough chit-chat. Let's just jump in. And we're back. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the EQIQ Podcast. I'm your host, Damien, and with my co-host and partner in crime here, say what's up, Nicholas. Just keeping it corny. And, of course, the man making it all happen, Pablo. How Just doing, sailing Pablo? us through the idle seas of fate. <laughs> nice. <laughs> We are manifesting our destiny. That's what I love to hear. From corn into more corn. No, man. We're talking about dreams and fate, you know? But I think when we think about our dreams and what we really want, I think when we think about focusing Mm -hmm. on head, there are a lot of things that can distract us and create nightmares on top of our dreams in this day and age, especially with news and media and hype and non-hype. I think a lot of this information we get can kind of become a distraction. I know, Nick, you had an article that you were reading about VCs, right? You want to talk a little bit about that and share this? Yeah, I've just been trying to, I guess, inform myself a little bit better about uh, what's going on in the world, especially for us when we're a company that relies on investment and not necessarily directly to us, but investments for our clients. And, you know, it's important for us to kind of stay up to date. And when you see all the red flags and alarm bells going off and everyone running for cover because the world's going to end and the NASDAQ is crashing and uh, <laughs> that that's when you definitely start to question things. For us here at EDC, when we start to question things, it's not necessarily a, a mind frame of getting scared per se, but we've I think we've done a really good job of training ourselves to know that that's an opportunity for us to go in and an opportunity for us to learn a little bit more about what's happening. You know, we're born and bred uh, out of science. And when there's a problem in science, you just investigate. So that's, that's what I started doing. And it's really easy to fall into the doom and gloom of, you know, that mainstream media and follow those hyperinflated opinions about everything crashing. But it just takes a little bit of digging to see that that's not always the case. And actually, just just this morning, I I shared an article with Damien, which we'll put up into the show notes, which shows some great statistics about biotech investment. Uh, The article is called Surprising Resilience of Private VC-Backed Biotech Markets. It's on a small website called Life Science VC. You know, these are people that actually went into the data and started looking at what's going on. And, you know, we know from past experience that the VC markets are a little bit behind on sort of what happens in the public market and the sort of the the private sector versus the, the public sector. But it's not as gloomy as you would expect. You know, you're looking at historical data, and I I don't mean to turn this into a whole episode about markets, but just for the sake of this example, it's a really scary time if you don't really look into it. Because basically, and fine, this is sort of one source, and we'd probably have to look at many. But for the sake of this example, this article is showing that, you know, between now and two years ago, 
the investments are great. You know, we saw like a, we'll call it a hyperinflated uh, year last year in terms of investment because there's a lot of money and, you know, reasons that we won't necessarily get into. But right now, there's not really any reason to, to freak out as much as some people might be. You know, maybe it's it's cause for concern and something to pay attention to, but not a reason to you know, run for the hills. Not yet, anyways. I think that's like easier said than done when we're in a field that is pretty passionate when we're dealing with entrepreneurial ventures where you have an idea, some kind of uh, IP or even some uh, research aims or scientific aims that you're looking towards. You believe that there's going to be a lot of support out there at the early onset. And when you're not very familiar with the business aspect of this venture, I think that Mm. we tend to look towards other experts and expertise within these types of fields, especially if we're not familiar as a scientist with the business. So we look towards other business and financial people, but then they tend to not be giving you information and data that is relevant to some of the work that you're doing. I think we tend to look at these markets and look at these mainstream media outlets and news because I know I subscribe and watch a lot of CNBC. I watch a lot of the stock markets and watch it, but I don't I see past all of the hoopla, the the mad TV, the the crazy types of mm-hmm. people that like, can you believe the markets are dropping everybody in a panic? <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm old enough to remember yeah. when I felt that same thing in 2008 and 2009 when a lot of the stocks have gone down. And I, at the time, actually yeah. jumped and left my previous job to find another job. And everybody was thought I was insane for doing that. You're like, why would you try to go look for another job? Don't you know, there's a big, huge recession, the job markets is really bleak. (laughs) And I said, okay, yeah, I kind of knew that was there. But it wasn't what I was reacting to. What I was reacting to was a vision of my future of where I wanted to do and wanted to move toward. And Not saying that there wasn't a whole lot of available jobs or positions out there, but I do know that was the direction. And so I looked at trends and patterns of where I wanted to go and which markets I wanted to delve into. But I think that's what we try to get people to see is that when we're looking at these trends and patterns, especially when it comes to money, I think people tend to be a little bit more sensitive to it, but they sensitize themselves towards more of a fear mindset or what we've spoken about in our previous season about these risk-taking or risk-averse mindsets, particularly in and around a scarcity. And I think that this bleeds right into what we want people to kind of think about as far as the work that you're doing. Even though you may not know exactly, understand the business or financial sides of your research and the work you're doing, but note that the things that you're passionate and desire to do, that you'll be able to find other resources and be able to, for lack of a better term, read the tea leaves or read the financial data to be able to help you to really make sense of it in a way that helps you to interpret interpret the best path or best course of action towards your own futures. We focus a lot on on money too, because that's getting into sort of those traditional metrics that, that we tend to evaluate money is a really easy thing to count you know there's systems and it it immediately allows us to have a value on Mm -hmm. on something but there's there's different ways to make an investment and i think you know if we're talking about you 
your journey to Boston, you know, you took into consideration sort of, yes, that monetary financial value, but also the value in effort, the value in time, and, you know, the value in motivation to do what it is you wanted to do. What I always like to think of is, you know, whether you're in an up market or a down market, whatever form of measurement you want to take, a good investment is still a good investment. It's just those different environments provide different types of pressures, uh, different types of opportunities. So, you know, if we're to take this back to uh, a biotech startup, yeah, when everyone's flush with cash, you know, you're getting a lot of offers. But the challenge then becomes who is going to support you the best, right? Who do you actually want? on that caps table. And you need to be a little bit more careful because everyone might be, you know, selling themselves a little bit more than they should Mm -hmm. be. There's a lot of people that are taking more easily in an up market, uh, a high risk investment, you know, and maybe, you know, you're dealing with someone that has a little bit less experience in your industry that has a little bit more financial flexibility at the time, who's willing to uh, maybe let you be a little bit more, you know, we'll call it independent in what you're doing. Um, However, you might want to go with someone a little bit more experienced because you don't have that experience set who is able to guide you a little bit more. Now, sort of the flip side of that and the, the down market side, when there isn't a lot of money running around, those very strong, very knowledgeable investors are the ones that are making the investments. So yeah, okay, fine. The initial step is a little bit more difficult, but then look at the benefits of that. You know, the the market in this case has provided this filter for you. That's really getting you having the ability to highlight who the real players are in your industry. And then you're having access to those. And, you know, we don't even need to get started with, you know, right now in a down market, you have the larger companies making a lot of layoffs. You know, you hear companies whether they be engineers or scientists, laying off 10, 20, sometimes 25% of their staff, that's skilled labor that needs a job. And you're, you just so happen to be a startup that's getting started that has positions available that has, okay, fine, maybe not the same amount of salary that they were getting from, you know, some series E company that they're working with. But, you know, there's other advantages to working with a startup that, you know, they may or may not have been taking into consideration because of, you know, how being in that different environment affects their situation. And let's just say this goes towards our nonprofits or academic clients that are looking to get more grant funding or grant awards. I mean, just this past year alone, it's close to $40 billion in NIH program and awards, federal funding. And it's been steadily Mm -hmm. going up. Maybe in the past year, it's ticked down a little bit. But for the most part, there's still a ton of money. And there's is, if anything, a lot of people are applying for it. There is money out there, but how we access it requires our ability to focus on the actual work that's being done in a way to say and to convince these funding institutions and funding mechanisms that says, I have an idea that is worth funding. And let me show you the real work, real data to actually like prove this, have this proof of concept. But if you come to these funding institutions or these VCs in an act of utter desperation, uh, you end up not getting what you want or desire and because you don't have any confidence in and in what you do. I think, Nick, you have a good saying, something about you ask for money, you get advice, but if you ask for, what was that? Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, it's ask for money and you'll get advice. Ask for advice and you'll get money. Exactly. And I think that this is a good part for being able to connect with funding institutions and networks to really ask them about the trends, the patterns, inquire about what are the trends that they see? What are the things that they're seeing on their front? And most of them will actually like let you know what are the trends and patterns and apply it to yourself. How does this actually work with in and around your research or your venture? And I think that these are some practical applications for us to be able to say, all right, how do I not react to the, the market? Well, first of all, we have to like take a step back and know or just even be aware that you're reacting to the doomsday, doom and gloom aspect of, of our work. Uh, one of the things we do in our programs, we do a lot of self-awareness and team development and team teaching in and around this ability to understand our own emotional reactions to data and information. And if we're not aware of it or practice some semblance of self-awareness, we end up becoming more reactive to this scarcity mindset in and around it. And I always tell people, just because you are the descendants of the most paranoid hominids that roam this planet, doesn't mean you have to be slaves to those emotional reactions. And so this is why taking a step back to try to like see, all right, what do I want instead of what do I not want? Most people, they see these uh, financial trends and patterns and say, oh my gosh, I don't want to be those that lose funding. I don't want to close my company or my business or my lab. <laughs> and they don't realize that they are actually taking action based upon those anxieties. When in reality, they should take a step back and like, all right, I know the trends and patterns are migrating this way. However, why did we actually get into this research and this science and take on this innovative venture for? What is it about it that still inspires us? Why are we still excited? Starting at that point allows you to say, all right, what can I now do? What are some things that we can apply towards? And the solutions start coming from there. We drive all the solutions from being able to ensure that we successfully execute the research and the work. And we had a client a while back ago who lost funding and he was a little bit panicked about it, but then he went, you know what, this is fine. If anything, this is a good thing because there were a lot of projects that were going on anyways, and we just really need to narrow our focus down and be able to execute on the things that are going to move the needle forward or get to the next funding series or get move it. If anything, he actually was able to get rid of a lot of distractions, things, the projects that weren't really moving things forward. And it created a sense of uh, a sense of calm and focus effort. And they started creating much more of a leaner team, a leaner uh, ideas on projects. And instead of seeing this like, oh, I lost this funding, I'll never get it, blah, blah, blah. If anything, it helped him to be really focused on this research and his work. And they were actually able to secure even uh, stronger funding the next round, uh, the next funding round, which was awesome. But again, it was his ability to step back and look at the bigger picture and say, this is what I still want to do. I'm excited. So all these other things that are contributing to it, let's not do those. Let's just focus on the things here. And I think this kind of like uh, lends to this credence that like, 
having more of an abundance mindset allows you to focus and not be so anxiety prone because our minds, our default is a scarcity. I mean, again, we are the descendants of the most paranoid hominids. We're, are, we're trained, we've been have years of evolution training us to say, be reactive for things that can go wrong. But at a certain point, when you think about it, you can have access to a lot of resources, not just financial, but personnel, person, persons, information. And I think that there are a lot of uh, resources out there if you're not so reactive to the market trends. Well, it's not necessarily the, the market trends. It's it's being reactive to being uncomfortable. You know, and the most successful clients that we have and, you know, arguably what we've done with ourselves is to train ourselves to recognize that feeling uh, of being uncomfortable and not necessarily muting it, right? We've just pivoted what the reaction is from freaking out and stopping everything to pause. Let's take a step back and (laughs) reevaluate. Or sometimes, you know, sometimes it's evaluating for the first time because it might be the first time that this happens. Um, And it's not necessarily always going to be with these large existential questions either. Sometimes it's, you know, what do I do with a project? You know, uh, is this really working? Uh, Whenever you feel uncomfortable, this is a process that you can go through. Obviously, from our perspective, we typically get called in when there's a big problem. And arguably, these are the most complicated. And so we can we can learn from the situations like the one that, that Damien talked about, where, you know, we have, we're coming into a situation that, that is somewhat mm-hmm. on the brink of, you know, they're on the cliff's edge, usually still functioning. <laughs> but, you know, something... I don't want to call it drastic, but definitely some movement in the right direction needs to happen is just how do you evaluate what the right direction is? And that all comes down to what you want. And, you know, I hate to harp about it again, but, you know, we fall back on all these fundamentals that we've been talking about for this whole podcast. You know, this is what it's based on. It's it's going back to the vision. It's making sure that you're clear on where you want to go, being clear in your communication to your team and to the people around you and to the people that you want to recruit, whether that be for funding or for work or for, uh, for guidance about what you're trying to do. Assuming that you have all your ducks in a row and that no one's telling you that this is a terrible idea, including yourself, the decision on where to go and what to do becomes very clear. And oftentimes like what Damien just described, you actually end up in a better place because not only are you looking at a situation that actually works for you, but you just took the time to look at all the extra, all the superfluous stuff that might take you in a tangential direction and you just cut it. So again, with sort of, if we want to look back at this up market, down market type of example that we started with, having a stressful situation or having some sort of insult in the very like uh, dictionary definition of it, of some sort of event that causes damage, we can take that opportunity and, and that feeling to identify it as a time where we do need to take a step back, reevaluate, and 
quite honestly, that that's one of the favorite parts of what we do is to guide someone through these very difficult internal conversations mm-hmm. of what's important, what's not important, what do I have to do? What yeah. can I do later? What do I have to do now? What can mm-hmm. I leave? And the relief that you see at the end of that, and it's not even because you know we make a decision mm-hmm. for them. Sometimes we don't even come to a conclusion, but when you feel progress, from a place where all you felt was bad. <laughs> you know, any type of step forward, any type of clarity becomes a real breath of fresh air. And then even those pivoting decisions become a lot easier. Exactly. And I think that when we think about the, the concepts of pivoting and being able to assess our own landscape of where we're going, I think it's hard for those that are, especially particularly with our clients that are highly heady or intellectual, we've honed and challenged and trained ourselves to depend on our intellect for such a long time that we lose sight of other aspects of ourselves or other resources within ourselves to depend on or it has to come in. And this is why we teach all in and around the ideas and the concepts of EQ or emotional quotients or self-awareness. A lot of people within the creative arts, particularly like musicians, artists, even uh, entrepreneurs, instinctively know this. This is this feeling, this esoteric type of like, I just have a gut instinct about this, or this just feels right. Mm -hmm. For some of our clients that are engineers, it kind of like goes over their head. And they're like, what do you mean gut instinct? And so what we try to do is break down these feelings, these sensations that have never been labeled before, and to help develop words or sentences or scenarios or conceptual frameworks for somebody who is coming at it from an intellectual academic perspective. So they look towards the data, the financial data, but they're not realizing or they're not aware that they're emotionally reactive to it. And because they're not emotionally aware of it, they actually just react and say, I have to take this action. Not realizing this anxiety that they're experiencing is related to the data trends and their own perception from their past historical perceptions, especially from the news. When the news is what I was the classic, if it bleeds, it leads, right? It's it's there to incite this anxiety-provoking <laughs> yeah. sensation. But if you're not realizing, you then justify the data. You're like, but the data says this, and you will believe it. And so once we work with our clients to help them to see that it is their emotions that are running them a wild or actually forcing them to look towards other avenues that, or lose focus on where they're going, they can now start to see the data in a different light. I've used this example before. We had a client that was freaked out about the work and he was like, I'm going to be losing funding in 18 months. I got to uh, start applying and pulling in more funding. And I'm like, no, you got to do your science. Isn't this what you said you were going to be doing? And he goes, no. <laughs> Stick to your commitment. If I lose funding, I, I won't be able to do the science. I'm like, well, if you don't do the science, you won't be able to get more funding. And he doubled mm. down, tripled down. He goes, I can't take it. All I could see is running out of money in 18 months. And I'm like, you see, that's all you're reacting to is the anxiety of running out of money in 18 months. But if you actually think about why are you getting the money for what is it about the money? Do the work. Do the work that you got the money in the first place for. If you do the work that you got the money in, the, mm-hmm. then you'll actually be able to use that to pull in more money. And it just happens to 
B, the ability to understand what you're emotionally reacting to. And if you realize that you're emotionally reacting to it in a panic, anxiety, or this is words that we help them to kind of like articulate themselves, they can start to say, oh, why am I doing this in the first place? And then this is when, say, a musician is trying to compose a music piece. I'm making Pablo here cringe. But <laughs> when you're composing, there's certain techniques that you're trying to follow. But at a certain part, when you're like frustrated, you got to like take a break, take a step back and kind of see it in, in, in its entirety, because you know, this will create this sense of clarity. Pablo, would you not agree? See? It's <laughs> <laughs> like short answers. <laughs> Uh, just just as an aside for anyone uh, on the commercial side of things listening to this, you know, EDC works both in academia and in the private markets. So one of the major differences that we deal with is runways. And so if you think that 18 months is a ridiculously long runway, uh, it, we're not talking about the same system uh, that, that you're in. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying <laughs> that. Yes. Our academic clients, they're like, I don't have enough time. I'm like, just wait till you think about going commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I think it, it's pretty clear that we have the ability to walk someone and guide them through navigating this conversation with themselves to figure it out. But maybe for those that don't need to work with us completely or just flat out don't want to, which is also fine, what would you say are the first steps to, one, identifying, but then walking through this conversation on your own? My God, I can't even begin to tell you the number of times I get people that come to me and ask me some of these things. I tell them, write it down. Literally, just write it down. Piece of mm. paper. Maybe listen to the previous episode that we yes, just recorded on journaling. Exactly. <laughs> like, I think this is a, a hard for, again, very heady intellectual people that have depended so much on their mind. It's just a tool. Your brain is just a tool mm. to help you orient yourself in, in this realm. It's the same tool that created the Sistine Chapel, but it's the same tool that causes war and destruction. If you're not aware of what it's doing, you're doomed to kind of create problems even more or exacerbate the problems you already have. So I always say, like, just start out with a piece of paper and say, what do I want? Literally write it out. What is it about that that you want? Because you're literally pulling it out of your head and adding words to it and being very specific. Mm. It's the first steps towards outlining your process. It doesn't have to be exact. I think that's where people get a little hung up. So they create this perfectionist, like, mm -hmm. it's got to be mapped out. It's have to be ever like, no, just something overall sketch art. Like, this is why, as you see, a lot of entrepreneurs is like back of the napkin kind of sketch because they're literally trying to pull right. out something out of their head and just kind of map it out and then start to slowly take action towards that. It's the challenges when you want it to be perfect in your head. And Nicholas, uh, our recovering right. perfectionist, can attest to this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, I, I think there's another sort of angle that you can take on this. And I think more of the one that, that I approach is, well, yes, it's about getting it out of your head, but there's also comfort in knowing that it won't be forgotten, mm. that you can go back to it on that mm -hmm. page. And it just, you know, if you want to think about it as like a, a reservoir, you know, you're just emptying the tank, right? You're You're giving yourself greater capacity to then shift focus from freaking out 
to gathering information and analyzing what's actually going on with a, a more clear mindset we'll call it, in order to then move on to that pivot. Yeah. With all of the high technology and in managing all of these different business plans and financial data, you know, I always tell people one of the best high-tech tool ever invented was the pencil. <laughs> it just took the pen to the next level by putting an eraser on it, by just simply sketching a lot of the stuff out, fine-tuning it over time, you'll be quite surprised on how much return on that investment that you can get. But again, like anything else, it takes practice because if you're not aware of this, you tend to default to your own old practices, particularly in and around your over-dependency mm -hmm. on your intellectual perception of your vision. But being much more self-aware or developing a sense of self-awareness allows you to approach information and data much more succinctly with a lot more clarity. And I think that's what most people want when I work with them to kind of help sketch out their vision. What they're looking for is this sense of, ah, this is what I'm looking for. Most of them come into like, right. oh my God, this is not what I'm looking for. This is not what I'm looking for. But what they're looking for is that like peace within themselves. And they're like, I get it. <laughs> so take home for all of this is try and find the right time for you to do whatever it is you want to do. Because if you start looking at other places, you know, you're always going to find reasons to not. But when you do feel and when you do identify that you're in that freak out mode, uh, when you're in the scarcity mindset, if you want to use our terminology, start by writing it down and start by writing it down like free writing. Don't care about the form. Don't care about what it says. Don't care about the mistakes. Just do what comes easiest to you, whether it be writing it down with a pencil or dictating it. Uh, I do it on my phone. Uh, really great technique. You just let it out. Then you start fresh, then you can start assessing and eventually getting to that pivoting decision that is hopefully very clear uh, as to being the right decision for you. Again, if you have any other questions for us, please feel free to reach out to us at experimental-designs.com. I am your host, along with my co-host here. Say hello, Nick, or goodbye. <laughs> this has been the EQIQ podcast. This was a Raul Maria production. It's so great. I, I love it. And every time I hear it, I'm like, ah, oh, hi, Yanya. <laughs>